Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Bible Coffee and Page. I got my Bible, have my coffee, I'm Page. I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, please do me a favor and uh, let me know you're here in the comments. Let me do this here real quick. Reload the page so it shows this coming up. All right. So let me know you're here. And if, if all goes well and I see this stuff, oh good, there I am, I'm there. I'm gonna say, hello. Send me a comment. All right, uh, we're gonna continue our little jaunt through the Gospel of John. Before I do that, I just wanna remind folks why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this because I think I'm anything special. I'm not a super duper Bible teacher. I'm not a super duper anything. I, if I have a pseudonym, I'm gonna be Captain Anonymous. And I get that from uh, something that I said years ago uh, when I was chatting with somebody. And we were talking about being a professional musician, how I'm not famous and I'm not well known. And, um, and there was a time in my life when that would have bothered me. And it was one of these those moments where it's like you're standing outside yourself and you listen to yourself say something really profound and you're saying, oh, I hope somebody's taking notes because that was good. Well, this is one of those moments. We're talking. I said, you know, I think I'd rather be anonymous to the world and known by God than to have everybody shout my name when I die, only to stand in front of God and have him go, Paige who? Hmm, I, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I can think of no more horrific event than that. Uh, I believe that there's life past this one. That uh, what we do in this life is like previews of a coming attraction. Uh, there will come, there's a life after this one where sin is gone and, and the things that hold us back are gone and uh, it will be amazing. And I believe that what we do in this life is very, very, very important. The choices we make how we choose to live, how we choose to act, I think are very important. Well, this last year and a half or so uh, have been very eye-opening for me. I had uh, a diagnosis of a diagnosis of congestive heart failure in March of 2020. And then of course the pandemic hit and everything. And uh, it's like all of a sudden this life became very important and very temporary. Hmm. I got a sense of my mortality like I've never had before. And as a result, I've made some changes. God used it as a huge, huge wake-up call. And some of the changes I've made have been, well, to spend more time in the Word, to spend more time in the Bible. And that's kind of what this is about. I, I'm sharing it with you because I know there's like-minded individuals out there. But there's a twofold purpose. One, I really want to wrap myself around the technology of doing this kind of thing. And two, I need to get in the Bible. I need to reintroduce that discipline back to my life. So, um, 
that's what we're doing. So now, up to now in the Gospel of John, we have talked about uh, John the Baptist, uh, who he believed Jesus was, Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've talked about the, uh, uh, the introduction of Jesus and the beginning of the disciples. And then we hit the story of the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And we talked about uh, the events of that, how that transpired and how uh, Jesus healed him. And then the religious leaders began their persecution or according to that Greek word that's used there, their prosecution of Jesus. John the Apostle used very specific words. He was looking backwards. He had the benefit of hindsight. He, he looked backwards at, at this event from when he was writing this. And he could see that this was the beginning of the active prosecution of Jesus. So that's where we're at right now. They are uh, they're upset with the fact that he healed a man on the Sabbath and told him to pick up his mat and walk. And now we're looking at Jesus' response to that. So I'm just going to read through this, the passage from verse 19. We talked about that yesterday, but we're going to, I'm going to read from 19 to the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to discuss a few points. All right, let's get started. All right. All right, let's see here. There we are. There we are. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father loves the Son. Let's see, let me, whoa, I lost my place. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and is now come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what's good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just because I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works... Now, this is very important. This is very important. This verse, we're going to come back to this. 
I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, they testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father has sent me, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I don't accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, I'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Don't think I'm going to, I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Whew. Man, there is a lot to unpack there. First of all, let me just paint with broad strokes what's going on. Have you noticed a difference in tone the way, from the way Jesus is addressing these religious leaders from the tone he used when he addressed the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, or the lame man at Bethesda? Um, the woman at the well. Let's, let's go back to her. Uh, she made the statement, you know, when the Messiah, I know that when the Messiah comes, is it going to explain everything? And Jesus said simply, I'm he. And then she goes back to the village saying, I think I found the Messiah. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. She didn't approach Jesus from a point of arrogance. Her life was a mess. And Jesus, gosh, Jesus... In essence, if you remember that devotion I did, in essence, he was telling her, I see you. Yeah, you're you're not married. You've been married five times and you're living with a man now that's not your husband. I, I know that. But if you knew who was standing in front of you, you'd ask him for living water. And she's, she was open. She says, I know when the Messiah comes, he'll explain things. She's open to that possibility. And when Jesus says, and then he just reveals himself to her, very simply says, I'm him. And she goes back believing that he that she's found the Messiah. She believed from that out of that little conversation. Um and when these religious leaders approach him, they're not approaching him with the sense of their with the self-awareness of their own sin or their own lack. They're coming at from a point of arrogance and superiority. Now, this comes from several different places. One is just their prejudicial treatment for anybody from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, they can't believe that this self-appointed rabbi would be of any importance. Even though... He mystifies them with almost everything he says and asks pointed questions to which they will not or do not have an answer. 
they come at him from a point of arrogance and self-centeredness and Jesus unloads on them. Uh, Philip, when he was called, Jesus sees him and says, ah, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And Philip says, how do you know me? He says, I saw you sitting under the tree, under the fig tree. And Philip's response was, response was you are the Messiah. Philip obviously had a sense and he was open, a sense of himself and he was open to the Messiah showing up. These religious leaders are not open to that. There's almost no, there's almost no more, there's, how do I say this? To me, there's no uglier thing than religious superiority. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. And that's what they're displaying towards Jesus. If they had truly known the scriptures that they said they believed, they'd recognize the signs. Let's, let's go back and look at this right here where he says, um, in verse 36, I have testimony weightier than John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, they testify that the Father has sent me. He's telling him, look, the things you're seeing me do, they're telling you who I am. What are the things he's doing? Well, you'll, you'll see later and what you see in other Gospels. He's healing the sick. He's healing the legs of crippled men. He's healing the blind. He's cleansing lepers. All of these things tell you who he is. In fact, this whole leper thing, this, this is, I found this fascinating. Edersheim in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he uh, mentioned that in Jewish culture, there was no treatment for leprosy. In their mindset, leprosy was a judgment from God and for sin in your life and they would not deal with leprosy because they would not did not want to interfere with the work of god because in their mind god gives leprosy only god can heal lepers so when jesus heals a leper the very works i'm doing testify the father sent me when he heals a leper he's telling them without any uncertain in any uncertain terms i am god and we saw in our last devotional how Jesus is claiming, in verses 19, it's right around there, he's claiming a familial relationship with God the Father. It's not like God the Father of us all, the royal we. He's saying, no, God is my Father. And God has given me the authority to represent him in decisions. My son, an incredible musician. Um, we have worked together on projects before, music projects. And when I'm not around, he has full and complete authority to make decisions. And even if I'm not around, he knows that I'm going to agree with what he decides because I have given him that authority in, that, in these projects. 
So I don't have to be around for everything. He can make calls. He can make decisions about things. And he knows that it's as if I'm in the room. If he says, this has got to happen, it's as if I'm there saying, this has got to happen. That's the kind of relationship Jesus has with his father. That's what he's telling them. And he says, the works I do, they tell you who I am. But then he just, oh gosh, he just lays into him. You have never heard his voice. You've never seen his form. And his word doesn't dwell in you because you do not believe the one he sent. You know, probably the closest thing I, I can think of in my personal life that lines up with this kind of confrontation is uh, one day when I was teaching at a fine arts academy, I was teaching a music appreciation music theory class. And the goal of the class was throughout the year, I was going to share with them the things they needed to know that they're going to need to know in order to exist as a professional Christian musician. Things like music theory, and, uh, you know, etiquette, and you know, all these things they were going to need to know, do the things they say they wanted to do. They weren't paying attention. Now, every class has a ringleader. Almost every class has a ringleader. If you can identify the ringleader, and forgive me for using these words, but if you can take down the ringleader, then the rest of the year will be fine. Well, this one class had a ringleader, and he was a good musician, but he thought he was a little bit too cool for school, if you know what I mean. And... I I was a couple weeks into the course and they were just like la 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 it's like looking around they're not paying attention they're you know they're there they say to learn about music but they're not paying attention and um, I stopped the class and let's call this kid John that's not his name let's call him John I said John have you ever played for five thousand people that really dug what you did he said no I said I have have you ever been in a band that's toured around this country, playing concerts, different concerts every other night in a new city. He said, no. I said, I've done that. Have you ever played overseas where the minute you walk on stage, people start applauding before you've even played a note? He said, no. I said, I've done that. I said, have you ever gone to a recording studio, say in Nashville, and recorded on an album? He said, no. I said, I have. Have you ever written a song or co-written a song that somebody put on their album? And to this day you can pull up that album and hear something you've written. He said, no. I said, I've done that. He said, what's the point? I said, the point's this. I have done everything you say you want to do. And yet, all you do is sit there and see an old fat white guy in front of you. That's it. I've done what you say you want to do. And you won't listen. It's kind of what's happening here. Jesus is telling them, he says, look, I am the one the scriptures speak about and you don't see me the works I do tell you who I am and you don't see me and what's interesting to me is that again the overall tenor of this conversation he's having with these religious leaders is that they're not coming to him with any sense of need or any sense of their need for further revelation from God. They think they've got it all. 
And Jesus digs his heels in and comes out swinging. That's why I call this particular devotion, Jesus doubles down. He doesn't hold anything back. Now, when I remember when I read this passage before, it seemed kind of obtuse to me and kind of confusing and there's like these run-on sentences and, and all this kind of stuff. But this time around reading it, it's like, I totally get it. He's telling him in essence, you know who I am, or at least you've heard who I am. The, the words you read tells you who I am. Moses, who you claim to follow, tells you who I am. And yet you don't see me. And that's how I know the word does not dwell in you. You don't believe the one he sent. That's a tough word. Now, devotional aspect of this. Kind of gave you the cultural thing. What do I take out of this? What can I take as a person out of this? Hmm. Pride goeth before a fall, perhaps. Um, the fact that I need, I need to work on my heart and remember that as much as I think I know, I know next to nothing. Now, here's some things I know. I know there is a God who saved me. I know that Jesus Christ is the way to God. I know that I need to study to show myself approved. I need to know that in the light of God's word, in the light of God, I'm not much. He saved me and he values me. I get that and I know that. But there needs I need to approach this life with a sense of um with a sense of humility. Everybody everybody who is open to God can find him. The Bible says, they that seek me early will find me. Jesus says, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. All these things point to the fact that if you are open to what God has, God will open himself to you. So we need to avoid a sense of arrogance. I need to avoid being arrogant and thinking I know things. I do know things. But I don't know everything. All right. That's kind of where I'm going to leave this today. This was a great, great passage. So having said that, let me back up here. Boom. Teacher page. Bible coffee and page. I'm out of here. Bye.